0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Good evening, everyone. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Allison Camerota. We've got news tonight on that congressman-elect who keeps getting caught in flagrant lies. He may be in more hot water. You'll recall that George Santos has admitted to lying about key parts of his biography, from his wealth to his education, to his resume, to his family, to his religion. Now, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York is looking into some of his dubious finances. And the Nassau County District Attorney has announced she's looking into his, quote, numerous fabrications and inconsistencies. And we have some new lies he's just been caught in. Also, the Southwest Airlines meltdown continues. The airline is still canceling thousands of flights. Passengers are still outraged. And we've learned that Southwest Airlines got a $7 billion bailout during the pandemic. So what did they use all that money for? But let's begin with George Santos and more of his lies getting exposed. The Republican congressman-elect just cannot seem to get his own story straight. He lied about going to college. He lied about graduating from college. He lied about who he's worked for. He's lied about being Jewish. And CNN's K-File just dug up some new lies that we'll bring you in a moment. Now, federal prosecutors are looking into his dubious finances. A source tells CNN they're investigating the Congressman-elect's financial situation that seems to rapidly swing from being too broke to pay rent to being a multimillionaire. The district attorney of Nassau County, New York, also says she has Santos on her radar, But wait, there's more. CNN has confirmed that Santos was charged with embezzlement in Brazil. Let's go to CNN's Eva McCann with more on all of this. I barely know where you can begin, Eva. So let's just try to narrow it down and let's start with the federal investigation now into George Santos. What are prosecutors looking at there?
2: And is that different than what the Nassau County DA is looking at? Well, Allison, federal prosecutors in New York are investigating Santos's finances. Uh, that is what a source familiar with the matter is telling us tonight. This is the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York. Santos has faced questions over his wealth and loans totaling more than $700,000 that he made to his winning 2022 campaign. We don't know yet about the scope of the investigation, but like much of this story, it is likely more will come into focus in the days ahead.
1: So, Eva, we also have some new reporting from CNN's K-File. Of course, that's our
2: investigative unit. What did they uncover? Yeah. So this is really remarkable uh, from K-File. Uh, Santos said that he attended uh, Horace Mann prep school in the Bronx. Uh, I actually grew up in New York City. So I'm calling my my friends who went there as well today asking them, hey, do you know this guy? They said, we don't know this guy. Well, uh K-File called Horace Mann and they said that he never attended the school. But he gave sort of this this sad story about his family falling on hard times and him being four months shy of graduation and not being able to graduate from this uh, esteemed school. Well, it turns out uh, this entire episode is not true. He also claimed that he stood up at this conference and and criticized Goldman Sachs when he was working there at the Salt Private Equity uh, Conference. But of course, we know that Santos never worked for Goldman Sachs. And we spoke to Anthony Scarmucci, who I know that many folks are familiar with, who runs that conference. And they say not only did Santos not speak on a panel, he didn't even attend. Hmm. Okay. And then, Eva, how about these criminal charges against Santos in Brazil? What do we know about that? Yeah, CNN can now confirm reports that Santos was charged with embezzlement in a Brazilian court, according to uh, case records from the Rio de Janeiro Court of Justice. This dates back to actually 2008, uh, a charge of embezzlement. Court records, though, show from 2013 that the charge was archived after the court was unable to locate Santos.
1: Okay, Eva, thank you very much for all of that reporting. As we've said, this is not going away, this story. So much to unpack tonight. We're joined now by former Nixon White House counsel John Dean, CNN political commentator Errol Lewis, Nina Turner, co-chair of Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign, and the former governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford. Great to have all of you here. Errol, just to recap for everybody, I just want to put up on the screen some of the lies that George Santos has been caught in. and I mean, they're really wide-ranging. He never worked for Citigroup or Goldman Sachs, though he claimed he did. He didn't graduate from Baruch College or get an MBA from NYU. He didn't go to college at all. He's not Jewish. His grandparents are not Holocaust survivors. He never ran an animal rescue nonprofit. He never owned 13 properties or any that people can find. Uh, He was not forced to leave Horace Mann. That's the New York private school, as Eva just reported, because he never went there to begin with. Um, Oh, and by the way, as we've learned, CNN can confirm he was charged with embezzlement in Brazil for forging an elderly man's signature on checks that were not his. So I would think that you wouldn't want this person to be a lawmaker in your country's capital, but he is going to be, Errol. So now what?
3: Well, now what? There are a couple of different possibilities, Allison. One is that he does get seated and he serves. And uh, if the law catches up with him, then and possibly only then would his fellow members of Congress decide to take action against him. The last member of Congress to be kicked out was James Traficant. And that was a long time ago. This is a generation ago. And that was after he was convicted on Ten federal fraud charges. So you can be under quite a cloud and still exist in Congress. You can ask Matt Gates about that. There are any number of members who are being investigated at any given time facing very, very serious charges. So that is one distinct possibility that the, the lies that this man has told and the investigations of those lies are likely to have some consequences. I mean, honestly, while it's it's very attractive to look at the embellishment and so forth, and I think people can kind of understand that, I guess maybe on some emotional level, wanting to seem like you're more than you are and fake it till you make it. But the ones that involve the, the, the charges and the lies that involve money are going to get him in a lot of trouble. When you raise money for animal rescue and none of the money makes the, it, its way to where it's supposed to be. That's when you get into real trouble. And I think those are the kind of charges that the prosecutors are going to look at most closely.
1: And that's the kind of thing we're seeing start tonight. Governor, um, why haven't we heard anything from Republican leader McCarthy? Does he, is he okay with all of this? Why isn't he saying anything?
4: Clearly, he, he's not. I'm sure of that. But, but the reality is his ability to become speaker possibly hinges on one vote. I mean, it's going to be very tight given the holdouts uh, that are there on the the sort of the right flank of the Republican conference. And so as a consequence, in terms of self-preservation, he's quiet. But I think it's a real mistake. I I think that this is where leadership is absolutely essential in stepping out, condemning wrong and saying, this does not fly. We do not want him as a part of our caucus. He'll be a drain and a distraction, and uh, he shouldn't join us. There ought to be that kind of forceful comment. I doubt we'll see it out of McCarthy, though.
1: Yeah. Nina, it's sort of fascinating to listen to George Santos spin these lies because he's unabashed when he does it and when he's caught. Here is a moment where he was talking about going to that New York City prep school and the sad story about how he had to withdraw because his parents, you know, fell on hard times. So I just want viewers to be able to hear him in his own words.
0: They sent me to a good prep school, so, and which was Harseman, uh Prep in the Bronx. And um, on my senior year of prep school, unfortunately, my parents uh, fell on hard time. So anyway, um, I left school uh, four months to graduation.
1: Apparently, none of that was true. You know? So what's going to happen?
5: I mean, the man is a pathological liar, Allison. I mean, you look up pathological liar, he's at the top of the list right now. And if the governor's contention is correct that for self-preservation, McCarthy is just going to let this go on without speaking speaking out and up against this and saying that we don't want this man here, then that is a very sad commentary and condemnation on the GOP leadership itself. The people who are going to lose out the most are the voters who voted for this fraud because they did not know that he was a fraud. But now that the truth is out, the Republicans should be calling for this man to have some decency and step down. I mean, there are lies and then there are damn lies. And this man has told lies.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, John, there are three Republicans um, so far who have spoken out. They're not in leadership. They're new Republicans to Congress. Uh, Republican Congressman-elect uh, Nick LaLota, uh, Congressman-elect Anthony D'Esposito and Mike Lawler basically um what Nick LaLota has said is that he welcome He believes a full investigation by the House Ethics Committee is necessary. Your thoughts?
6: I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, it, it, it's very difficult to remove an elected member. Uh, it takes a two-thirds vote of the House. There's no way the Republicans are going to go for an ejection of this man, even if he's after he is sworn in and, and is seated. So he's going to wrap himself around uh, his patriotism, his uh, seat in Congress, and claim they're coming after him as something something of a defense, and it might work a little bit for him, but he's got both the federal and state governments now investigating him. He's in a heap of trouble. Uh, he may well have committed wire fraud by putting up false advertising to entice donors. Uh, that's a serious offense. Uh, he may... There, endless potentials in New York election laws that he might have violated. So I don't think he's going to survive, but I think that uh, Speaker would-be McCarthy is going to get his vote.
1: Mm. Errol, it's incredible that there is no process for getting rid of someone who has this flagrantly violated the public trust. I saw today a petition going around um, among, I think, voters in his district trying to I guess, write him out of the position, but I don't even know if that's possible.
3: Yeah, we don't have any legal provisions for this. This is a a highly unusual situation. Uh, And and frankly, the timing of it is unusual for this to all come out after the election, but before he's been sworn in. I think that's probably the most unusual thing about it. it. You know, plenty of politicians get caught lying after the fact. Uh, but in this case, he's not quite a politician yet until he takes that oath of office. Uh, once he does, though, um, John is exactly right. I mean, he's he'll be ensconced and he'll have uh, a couple of new privileges that he won't be able to, uh, that we won't be able to sort of uh, pass through or crack through. He even has a relative immunity speaking privilege as long as the statements are made on the floor of the House. So he can spin all kinds of stories uh, and have relative immunity uh, as a member of Congress. So. We're in in a very tough uh, position. This is intended to be self-correcting, though. The system is intended to be self-correcting. I wouldn't like George Santos's chances at re-election, or if, for example, if the seat were vacated and he tried to run again, um, I I don't think he'd get very far. And I think, ultimately, that's the way the system works. Hmm.
1: Governor, what committee is he fit to sit on in Congress?
4: None. And, And that's something that McCarthy could do, is to not see him on a committee, um it's that's ultimately a leadership prerogative, and it's something I would, you know encourage uh, leadership to exercise. Um, we will see. But I, again, I think this is the, the the bigger conundrum that I think we're all dealing with at this time, which is I, I think that to some extent, Trump reset the bar on the value and significance of truth in the political process. And we see in here in its aftermath, effects like this that I think in a day past, going back to John Dean's time and other, where people would just say there'd uprise, this got to end, you'd see a, a, a much stronger pushback at the local level, and maybe that'll come next, and you'd see a much stronger pushback at the leadership level. Tragically, we've not seen that thus
1: far. You know, what about that? Has integrity sort of lost its way now?
5: Allison, this is outrageous. I mean, that leadership does not have to follow the path of President Donald J. Trump. But McCarthy, all he cares about right now is getting that one vote and basically constituents of the of the of the third district in New York. That is the problem. This Trump is not the problem. You know, I'm not disagreeing with the governor in terms of resetting the bar. But McCarthy can do something different. He can put the pressure on this man. He needs to have some decency and the GOP needs to have some decency to say, look, we don't want you here. Go put the pressure on him. And tell him mm. to stand down, but he's not going to do that because all he cares about is being the next Speaker of the House.
1: John, maybe, maybe. Him, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Kevin McCarthy will do it right after he, uh, right after George Santos votes for him. Can he get rid of him then?
6: Well, as I say, you can't. You, it's very difficult to expel somebody from the House. What they can do is not give him a seat on a any decent committee. They can. Uh, put him in charge of janitorial services or something like that. Uh, But I think that uh, we have a Republican Party today that Trump somehow convinced should have no shame, and they don't. It's not the Republican Party I was once a member uh, or the governor. Uh, So it's a different time. And this man seems to get out there and say anything he wants to and no repercussions and no personal uh, anxiety about his behavior. So it's really quite striking and the system isn't built for these kind of people.
1: Yeah. Well, I made a prediction last night and it has come true, which is this story is not going away. So I predict there may be even more chapters with George Santos. Thank you all very much for all the insights on that. Next, we have more revelations from the January 6th committee testimony about how Donald Trump suggested a blanket pardon for some of the rioters at the Capitol. The January 6th committee is winding down, so they are withdrawing their subpoena to former President Trump. In a letter to Trump's lawyers, Chairman Benny Thompson wrote in part, quote, in light of the imminent end of our investigation, the select committee can no longer pursue the specific information covered by the subpoena. Therefore, through this letter, I hereby formally withdraw the subpoena issued to former President Trump and notify you that he is no longer obligated to comply or produce records in response to said subpoena. John Dean, Mark Sanford are back with us. Also, CNN political analyst Alex Burns joins the conversation. Um, So, John, as predicted, um, former President Trump ran out the clock. I mean, this is what our legal experts thought was going to happen. And he successfully ran out the clock on this subpoena.
6: Yes, he did. And and that's his standard playbook. Uh, So there's little the committee can do. Uh, and they're they're a select committee, so they are only alive as long as the Congress is alive. We're going into a new Congress, and the Republicans are certainly not going to revive this select committee. So uh, Trump, but this was the right thing for the chairman to do. It kind of tidies things up, but it is actually meaningless. They knew long ago that they weren't going to fight him, they weren't going to try to take him to court, they weren't going to hold him in contempt. Uh, so Trump's playbook worked in this instance.
1: Mm-hmm. Alex, let's talk about some of the new things that we're learning from the transcripts that the committee is releasing. Um, So we had heard there had been reporting that uh, President Trump was considering pardoning the rioters, but here it is now. uh, In Johnny uh, McEntee's words, he's the director of personnel. This is from March 28. Um, It says basically he's describing what happened in the Oval Office. One day. When we walked into the Oval, I remember it was being discussed. And I remember the president saying, well, what if I pardoned the people that were not violent, that just walked into the building? And I think the White House counsel gave him some pushback. It's just interesting to hear how those, you know, negotiations were going on behind closed doors and that, and that President Trump thought that would be a good idea.
7: Uh, interesting is a really good uh, euphemism for what for what that uh, scene is, Allison. Um, look, I think that this is an important uh, contribution to the historical record. I think that for the matter, uh, you know, as far as the politics of the moment go, we have now had Donald Trump go to rallies and talk publicly about pardoning. Uh, the the demonstrators and the rioters uh, and the people who ransacked the Capitol on January 6th. So it's not some sort of big bombshell in a political sense that that's basically uh, the stated position of the Trump 2024 campaign. But it's certainly uh, potentially as a legal matter and certainly as a matter for just our understanding of this moment in history is a really important thing to have preserved in the record like this, that within days of this historic assault on the Capitol, the sitting president of the United States was thinking about potentially issuing essentially an amnesty for the people who were involved in that. And I think, Allison, it helps sort of set the stakes for everything else that we have learned in these transcripts, that you know this was the president's frame of mind when people in his cabinet may or may not have been talking about the 25th Amendment or were talking with each other about how alarming it was that he was still in the job. It shows us that that was not just sort of wild speculation that he was a guy who was really out of control.
1: Absolutely. Nina, let's talk about that, the 25th Amendment. I I totally agree with Alex. For history, I mean, I can't get enough of these transcripts. Just seeing it in people's own words, you know, for posterity, history, and to set the record straight. And so here's what one portion about the 25th Amendment conversation. This comes from the uh, White House Deputy Press Secretary, um, Judd Deer, He says the conversations shifted from debating the certification of Arizona and establishing a commission to audit Arizona to impeachment. Talk of the 25th Amendment and the senators thought that any effort to mount a sustained objection to any state had ended. So basically (laughs) it did come up and people were debating the 25th Amendment as, you know, we had suspected.
5: Yeah, I mean, What is coming out of uh, this uh, committee is quite incredible, not just for history's sake, but right here in this moment that in the 21st century, uh, President Trump and his allies, even having Congress members like Gates and, and, and others who wanted that blanketed pardon. This president, what happened on January 6th falls clearly at his feet, and that is what the committee is showing, that he had people so amped up and so ready to do whatever they wanted to do to uh, disqualify the the election results and also allison i mean they didn't care that seven people i think died i mean let's know and that's not even to name all the people who got hurt but seven people lost their lives including yeah.
1: claims that about. yeah Nina, sorry we're having a little bit of a problem with your audio but i hear you and more than 140 police officers were injured uh, some of them obviously gravely um john How about the Cassidy Hutchison testimony that she saw Mark Meadows burning dozens of documents in his fireplace? Here's a little bit more color on that. This is the actual testimony. Quote, so throughout the day, he would put more logs on the fireplace to keep it burning throughout the day. And I recall roughly a dozen times when he would take the, I don't know the formal name for what it's called, that covers the fireplace, but take that off and then throw a few more pieces of paper in with it, when he had put more logs on the fireplace. I mean, we've heard about President Trump flushing documents down the toilet. Now Mark Meadows is burning them in the fireplace. This is incredible.
6: It is incredible. I know that fireplace, too, in the chief of staff's office. It works well. So I'm sure he had no trouble uh, disposing of papers and records he didn't want to ever be seen by anybody. Uh, I think this is an indication of his intent, his, his consciousness of guilt. Uh, if he is not cooperating, and there's some who suspect he is, uh, this is the sort of thing that'll come up and he'd be quizzed on in a grand jury at some length to explain this. Uh, he'll probably deny it, but uh, I think Cassidy Hutchinson's a good witness, and others who cleaned <laughs> out that fireplace may have further evidence on
4: it.
1: Hmm. Um, Governor, what jumps out at you from everything we've seen now from these transcripts? I
4: guess two things. I mean, one, if you start with crazy, you end with crazy. And uh, it's it just remarkable, given the entire tone and tenure of the the, the the Trump White House, some of the way it spilled out into people who, uh, frankly, I thought to be good folks. I mean, I, I served with Mark Meadows, and you know, he's a decent guy. And yet, you know, you get in the wrong environment, and, and things start being condoned that aren't right, and you start getting pressures in the wrong places, and... And good people, what I perceive to be good people, end up doing horrific things. And I think this is an example of how leadership from the top sets the tone and sets the bar. And a lot of people end up following in very, very strange directions. Burning stuff in the fireplace is crazy and nothing I would have imagined out of Mark Meadows.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point, Governor. I mean, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Let's talk uh, very quickly about... um, Donald Trump's taxes, which are going to be released on Friday. So, Alex, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee is releasing them. What's the point? I mean, he's no longer in office. What's the point now of releasing his taxes? And as you know, there are some critics of this who say, well, this shows that Congress could do this to any individual. Is this troubling that they're going to release his taxes?
7: Well, first of all, it does show that Congress can do it to any individual because Congress can do it to any individual. That's not something that's new as a result of what the Ways and Means Committee is doing right now. That was already the case. And what the committee has done, uh, what Chairman uh, Richard Neal uh, and and the staff of the committee have done, uh, is show that really the law does apply to the president and his relationship with the House uh, at this point. They show that they had a legitimate legislative purpose to see if the president uh, was properly audited as presidents are uh, meant to be. And I do think, you know, we started this segment talking about uh, a point, uh, a way in which Donald Trump managed to sort of run out the clock on the subpoena from the January 6th committee. This was a request for his tax returns from the Ways and Means Committee that did happen while he was the president of the United States, when he was not a private citizen, and he ran out the clock and ran out the clock. And man, he almost got away with it on this one too. We were weeks away. From control of that committee changing hands when they got the taxes.
1: Right, but why uh, do they have uh, to release them publicly? Use. I mean, I hear what you're saying with all of that. They got their hands on them, they wanted them, they wanted to show the IRS clearly had not audited properly. But why release them publicly?
7: Well, look, that's a question that the committee is gonna have to defend in the coming days. And I'm certainly not going to do their job for them in sort of building a rationale for it. I will just say that as a reporter and as a citizen, We've seen the tax returns of other presidents. We've not seen the tax returns of Donald Trump during a comparable phase uh, in his life and his presidency. And I, for one, I'm looking forward to seeing what's in them. I think this is one of these uh, areas where sunlight really, really is an important part of the democratic process, an important part of our political system.
1: Look, as a journalist, I'm very interested in seeing them. But as an American, Nina, is there a reason to release them publicly?
5: Yeah, the reason is all politics, <laughs> It's he's running again, you know, and this may come in hand before his upcoming bid. So they should be clear about that. Otherwise, Allison, I, I think what you're getting at is what is the purpose in this moment to release those things? Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. The election bid. Yeah, uh, folks, I mean, if I could just jump in on yeah, that, though. Are, like, like, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, the reason to do
7: it now is because they can't do it in two weeks because the committee uh, changes hands uh, at that point, right? And I, for one, I think we should sort of lower our expectations that there's going to be some nuclear bombshell in this because I think we know a lot about what's in his tax returns and now we're going to get to look under the hood.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Governor.
4: Yeah, I mean, there are two reasons to release him. One is this is exactly what he said he would do as a candidate and it tries straight into the Santos story on truth mattering. And what we say as candidates ought to be something that plays out when we're in elected office. So one, it said something he said to do. Two, it's a 50 year tradition that's been upheld by a Republican, Democratic presidential nominees on both the Republican and Democratic side for 50 years. And the idea that we take a walk from that, I think is a mistake. I, you know, I released my tax returns twice as, as gubernatorial nominee in South Carolina. Uh, I think it's a good tradition and I don't think it's wise to walk back. So I think this is a tradition we've had for 50 years. It's a good idea to keep it out and in place and in public.
1: John, I'll give you uh, the last word. This is just a tradition that the House Ways and Means Committee feels strongly about preserving, or is this you know, retribution or political, a political maneuver on some level?
6: I think they could not do it, but they also have a technical reason to do it. They're turning them over to the House. They're going to be printed uh, on Friday in the congressional record. So they are, in essence, public. Uh, when they follow their own rules.
1: Okay, folks, thank you very much. Great to get all of your perspectives. Now to this. Thousands of Southwest flights canceled again and thousands of passengers with lost luggage still. Coming up, we're going to introduce you to one passenger that we're calling the Luggage Ferry, and you'll see why. Now to the Southwest Airlines meltdown. Southwest has canceled more than 2,300 flights for tomorrow. And in just the past week, Southwest has canceled nearly 16,000 flights. The airline CEO says they'll be back on track before next week. But another big question tonight is why did its systems fail so spectacularly when Southwest got more than $7 billion from taxpayers during the pandemic? Let's bring in Catherine Rampell. She's a CNN economics and political commentator and a Washington Post opinion columnist. Um, Catherine, great to see you. So they had this huge systems failure. I mean, their phone system sounds woefully antiquated. Even the flight attendants couldn't get through on their phone system. Then they had all these other technological failures. They got seven billion dollars. Let me just give this, you some context. So during the pandemic, this was the PPP relief funds that airlines got. American got 18 billion dollars, Delta got 12 billion, United got close to 11 billion and Southwest got more than 7 billion.
8: Could they have used any of that PPP money? to upgrade their systems? So the pandemic relief funds were really intended to keep people on their payrolls, right? That's what this was supposed to be for, was to, to prevent layoffs. It was to pay for wages and salaries and benefits and that Okay, sort of so thing. they couldn't have used any of that. So. I mean, money is fungible, right? Like, in theory, they could have made some investments to upgrade their systems, and the Pilots' Union, for example, has been calling for them to upgrade their systems for a very long time, but that was not the intended use of those dollars. Uh, that doesn't excuse the fact that the whole system went under. Sure, of course.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as you say, the flight attendants have been calling for them to upgrade it for a long time, also. So now they're in this mess. And so many um, passengers, we've heard all of their sob stories. I mean, they missed Christmas with their family. They had to shell out their own money for either Ubers or for other flights or for hotels or for meals. They got stranded for days. What's the price tag for how they will compensate passengers? And will they you know, compensate
8: they have Southwest has said that they will review these uh, requests on a case-by-case basis. It's unclear uh, exactly how, what methodology they're going to use to decide who gets reimbursed for what. I think the financial costs of this are going to be... Enormous, Because you think about not just the flights that were canceled and the refunds that were issued, but as you point out, reimbursements for alternative travel arrangements for hotels, for driving a rental car 19 hours across the country or what have you, um, for lost baggage. You know, they're going to have to reimburse people for that because baggage ended up in completely different cities from where the uh, passengers were supposed to land. Um, so there are going to be huge costs in the near term, and then of course there are the reputational costs, right? Because Southwest has this reputation as being a very consumer-friendly airline. People are loyal, have been loyal customers. I just should say, uh, because um, they're known for treating their consumers, their their passengers, very, very well, and all of that has gone up in smoke. Are they obligated to reimburse their passengers? For some things, uh, but not for everything. Like, like, if they lose your bag, uh, there are some requirements that they have to repay you, but I think it's capped. The amount of money per bag is capped. Uh, for a lot of these other kinds of expenses, it's discretionary.
1: Um, Transportation Secretary uh, Pete Buttigieg has said that they're going to be held accountable. How?
8: You know, that's a, that's an excellent question. I don't think that there is any way that the Department of Transportation could fine Southwest into upgrading its IT system today or even next week. Um, I do think that they should be held accountable to figure out if they have breached any, breached any contract with their passengers, for example, if they haven't reimbursed people for expenses that they have told customers that they would reimburse them for. But it's kind of hard for me to imagine that any punitive, um, arrangements that the government would make would be more damaging than what Southwest has already done to itself at this point, point. given all of those costs. Right,
1: right. Uh, Catherine, thank you very much. You're going to want to stick around for this next story, because speaking of tons of lost baggage, that's what this is about. You've seen all that sea of luggage that's been stranded at airports this week. At the Tampa airport, one Southwest passenger took action. She decided to take it into her own hands to help other flyers track down their bags. She was delayed, and while her flight was delayed, she pulled out her phone and started taking pictures of these bags here, and any that had phone numbers attached to the handles. She started texting people, "I think I've found your bag. Do you know where your bag is?" Her name is Brittany Lubiere Vervich. We call her affectionately the Luggage Fairy. <laughs> Brittany, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I understand that you were trying to go from Tampa to Tucson, and mm-hmm. you you your flight was delayed, delayed, like perma-delayed. And so why yes. did you decide to just start wading through that sea of luggage and texting people?
9: So we were upstairs in the terminal, and then we waited in line for a long time, and there was long lines upstairs because people were trying to rebook flights or try to get their bags off the planes or something like that. And then we got to the front of the line after waiting, you know, over an hour and they said, no, you need to go down to baggage. So we got in that queue, which was over an hour, well over an hour. And my husband, Carl was standing in that line. And I was like, well, we don't need both of us to stand here. So I started walking around thinking maybe I would find our luggage. Maybe it was already in the piles I've never seen anything like this just hundreds and hundreds of bags getting pulled off the um, carousels and placed in the space between the carousels. Um, people were having to climb on the carousels to like get through the aisleways of bags and, and look for their own luggage. So I started walking around looking for my own and thought, oh, this one has a phone number on it. I will text them. And, you know, I texted as many people as I could. How many? How many um, people but did you It text? was a small thing. Um, I think I sent around 70 texts. Some of them turned out to be to landlines. So those obviously didn't go through. And, um, and but, just tell
1: me, so of the 70, how many do, how many responses did you get? Um, I want to say, I think 30 people texted me back. Um,
9: you know, it ranged from, okay, I need you to give them my phone number so they can call me, to... Uh, Oh, thank you so much. And then I actually met a man and a woman that came down. They got seven pieces of luggage. I guess it belonged to themselves and their parents. So, like, as I was standing there, I kind of, like, helped them find their seven bags. They were like, (laughs) do you work for the airline? I was like, no, no. I'm like you. I'm looking for my bag.
1: You might as well work for the airline. And I hope Southwest (laughs) offers you a very handsomely paid job because you were doing their work for them. But I do have one of the texts that I want... To read to you, so here's one. It's uh, so I think that you, <laughs> I think that you wrote this to her. Your bag is in Tampa, by claim 15, door 166. I'm just a random person looking for my luggage. The person writes back, "Oh wow, thanks so much. I hope you find yours." You write back, "Thanks." And the woman after that exchange tweeted out, "Thank you to the random yes. stranger who texted me that my suitcase was in <clears> fact <throat> in Tampa. You are a lifesaver, especially since there was no way Southwest." could ever tell me. How does that make you feel?
9: I mean, I just did the smallest thing. There were Southwest employees that were there. Some of them were 20 years employees of the company and they were working so hard. They were being so kind. They were keeping their cool. And some people were being very nasty to them, Mm. Um, even though they literally had no control over it. These are the you know, the, the people that work in baggage, the people that are taking the bags off the carousels, the people that are pulling the bags out of the bellies of the plane, mm. um, customer service agents. They were all working so hard. One woman had been there like over 24 hours, she said. Mm. Uh, so it's just really kudos to the employees that were trying to do their best to help all the customers get their bags back. This was very minor for us. We live in Tampa. Yeah, Did Our you... flight was canceled, thank God, while we were in Tampa. that is so. that,
1: that is lucky, I suppose. Did you find your bag?
9: Yeah, we, it took us about, I believe, four or four and a half hours to find our bag from the time we went down to the time we started standing in line. And, so we did get our bags back. And Brittany, and, I, mean, um,
1: I, I don't know if you heard me talking to our guest earlier, but do, what do you think Southwest should compensate passengers for all of this mess that people have endured the past week? I mean,
9: they, they need to get people home first. Uh, they need to get people their luggage first. All the rest of it is like down the road. You can't compensate everybody for everything. If the people just stop booking with Southwest, that's a huge loss in and of itself. So I don't know if you can really put a dollar amount on that. It would be great if they could, you know, reimburse for a rental car or something like that. But any of that, I don't know if you've ever had to make an insurance claim for a car accident or something. It can take like two years to get the money back. So so you think it'll be like a nice thing down the road, but Mm -hmm. I don't expect anything immediate can be happening, unfortunately. Yeah, it's
1: barely worth it. Um, Well, Brittany, you made people's Christmas week better and brighter. So (laughs) so we're calling you the luggage fairy and (laughs) um, feel free to put that on your business card. And thanks so much for uh, sharing your story with us tonight. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Okay, so we have developments tonight on the Dolphins quarterback, Tuatunga Bailoa. Miami's head coach confirmed today that he did suffer a concussion during Sunday's game against the Packers. What's still not clear is when exactly he was hurt. And that's key because the quarterback played the entire game. So there are questions about why he was allowed to play a whole game if he suffered a head injury at some point. It's important to note that Tua's first health scare this season in September prompted changes to the NFL's concussion protocol, changes to try to ensure that players with head injuries are not allowed to continue to play through them. So the NFL says it has now launched a joint review of this incident with the Players Union. Coach Mike McDaniel says earlier said earlier that he and the staff did not notice anything wrong with Tua until they reviewed the film hours after the game and then questioned him. It's uncertain whether the quarterback will play in Sunday's pivotal game against the Patriots. Okay, so next, another health scare to tell you about. Pope Emeritus Benedict is said to be very sick tonight. So we have a report from the Vatican right after this. Pope Francis asking for prayers tonight for his predecessor, 95-year-old Pope Emeritus Benedict, who is said to be very sick. Pope Benedict made history nearly a decade ago as the first pontiff to step down in nearly six centuries. CNN's Delia Gallagher has the latest developments from Rome.
10: Prayers for a Pope in failing health. In his globally broadcast general audience, Pope Francis called on the faithful to pray for his predecessor, Pope Emeritus Benedict, as his health deteriorates.
0: I want to ask you all for a special prayer for Pope Emeritus Benedict, who sustains the Church in his silence. He is very sick. We ask the Lord to console and sustain him in this witness of love for the Church to the very end.
10: The Vatican says the 95-year-old's health has deteriorated due to the advancement of his age and that he's being continually monitored by his doctors. Once the head of the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Benedict XVI has been living alongside his successor, Pope Francis, at the Vatican. After making the almost unprecedented decision to resign from his role as Pope in 2013... Announcing that decision, Benedict said his choice to step down was made due to his lack of strength of body and mind. The
6: decision I have made after much prayer is the fruit of a serene trust in God's will and the deep love of Christ's church. I will continue to accompany the church with my prayers and I ask each of you to pray for me and for the new Pope.
10: With that resignation, Pope Benedict became the first pope to step down in nearly 600 years, but retained his title and continued to dress in the papal white and make occasional public appearances. Born Joseph Aloysius Ratzinger in Germany and a childhood spent under the shadow of Hitler's Nazi regime, Pope Benedict XVI has sometimes been a divisive figure, unflatteringly referred to as God's Rottweiler in his conservative defense of the faith. He was Cardinal and Pope during the years when the Catholic Church's sex abuse scandals came to light, and he spearheaded the Vatican's efforts towards a zero-tolerance policy. However, after his retirement, he suffered a reputational blow when the Church-commissioned report found he knew and failed to act against a pedophile priest while he was Archbishop in Munich 40 years ago. Benedict denied the allegations. Even after his resignation, he continues to be a towering figure in the Catholic Church. And as his health declines, there'll be many sending him their thoughts and prayers. Delia Gallagher, CNN,
1: Rome. And we will, of course, keep you posted on the Pope's health. Next, we have a lighter story. Have you ever struggled with the company's customer service department? Well, now you can hire a, quote, Karen to do that for you. We'll tell you how right after this. Are you sick of waiting on hold forever for some customer service representative to talk to you and then be less than helpful? What if you could get someone to do it for you? Someone who won't take no for an answer. Sounds like a job for a Karen. You know, one of those get-me-the-manager types. Well, a Pittsburgh couple has launched a small company called Karens for Hire. For a fee, they'll get on the phone and fight the battles for you.
8: We had somebody who reached out, you know, reach out to us and say, um, you know, I have to call, I have to make this phone call, but I have a thick accent. And anytime I call these people, they, they take advantage of me. So, you know, we were able to step in and we, you know, it, it was a male. So, you know, Chris was able to call he said, you know, I don't have an accent. You know, I can, I can be that fair voice for you.
1: We're back with Errol Lewis, Nina Turner, Mark Sanford and Alex Burns. Alex, um, have you ever needed a Karen?
7: Um, I think I have, but you know, Allison, I think I would, I think I would have regrets about deploying one. I can just say, in my own customer service experience, uh, I have never regretted being patient uh, and and sort of polite to people who work in customer service. at tough jobs. It's not their fault when the companies uh, are just awful uh, behind them. And the ones that I do regret are the ones where I lost my patience and acted like I don't know if you can say this word on television. I think you can, but a jackass. Uh, And those are the ones I regret. I would not want to outsource that job to somebody else.
1: (laughs) Not you, Alex. You're a saint, as we've all learned just now by the fact that (laughs) you are nice to customer service people who keep you on hold for 12 hours. I mean, how many of these Southwest passengers could use an army of Karens to help them try to find their luggage, etc.? Governor, your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I I don't have this halo. Uh, I mean, I I admire Alex, but again, don't have this halo. I don't have that patience. Uh, Karen, where have you been all my life? I've been looking for you. I went on the website when I learned about this. It looks spectacular.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, so here's what they say, um, Errol. This isn't a. This is their their ad, okay, for the Karens. This isn't about us. This is about you. You're the hero in this tale. You are Captain America. We are the Avengers, materializing behind you, facing insurmountable odds in Endgame. Karens assemble. And I know, Errol, I know that Karens also have a very negative connotation, obviously. Um, but it seems. Do you think that this is a good a way to uh, rebrand Karens and put them to good use?
3: I don't know. I mean, I'm having a hard time getting past that. You can go online and see minutes worth of Karens acting out. And in many cases, they're trying to get people arrested. In many cases, there are racial overtones. In many cases, they're just flat out wrong, accusing people of stealing a phone or something. And they're just wrong. It was in their purse all along. There's a relatively small number of cases where it's actually a rude person that you have to kind of deal with. It's mostly broken systems. I personally, you know, like Alex, I try not to lose my temper. I find that social media is the right way to embarrass big companies that don't respond. That's when they you, you really get their attention.
1: Yeah. Nina, maybe it's too early for a rebranding of Karen's.
5: Allison, I'm with Eric on this. I'm looking side eyed at this. Black folks would not be calling up a Karen because anytime Karen <laughs> shows up, they mess with our lives with foolishness and mayhem. They might want to change that name.
1: Yep. I hear you. I understand that. I think you're right. I don't think they've thought this through entirely. We do need an army of people who are willing to fight, you know, Southwest Airlines phone system for us. Not the actual people who I'm sure are lovely and kind, but the hideous 17 hour wait. We do need an army of people, but maybe we just need a different name for them. Okay, folks, thank you very much. Great to spend time with you. Thanks so much for watching. And our coverage continues.